You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. So I would like to introduce Daniel Demers on our next episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Daniel and I have known each other for a couple of years. We have a very interesting meetup story, I guess we could say. So Daniel, we met at Singularity University when we took the SU. So I think, I don't remember what it's called, that program. It was a SUEP. Executive Program. Executive Program. Singularity University Executive Program, which is a week long. I call it a geekathon. When people ask me, they're like, what, what, what is that? I said, it was just a whole bunch of people who are interested in different parts of technology. We just all got together and, and geeked out on various topics. So during our time there, obviously, Daniel and I, we connected and we had a lot to talk about. We were talking a lot, even in 2017, talking about Bitcoin and blockchain and all these interesting technologies. So I wanted to have you, Daniel, on the show because I just think you're a very interesting person exponentially, exponentially interesting person. So we can talk about our SU experience as well. And we're just going to have a very nice conversation about different aspects of technology, uh, really focused a little bit more on the Bitcoin and blockchain angle, because Daniel, as you're going to introduce yourself now, you have quite a bit of experience in all various parts of technology. So I'll let you take over and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and and your path and, and how you got to where you are today. Great. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mary. It's a real honor honor to be on your show. So, well, I mean, I was uh, born in, in a little town in Switzerland called Basel. I uh, had probably quite a normal childhood, but uh, I quickly got into computers. Uh, you know, in the 80s was the time of these yeah, 8-bit computers, uh, and I was super fascinated by that. It was kind of a yeah, an early, early life changer. I always wanted to become a coder, uh, study IT, but then somehow I ended up studying economics uh, and sociology. And then in the 90s, I was all consumed in that in that bubble of cyberspace, <laughs> digital, the internet, all these amazing things with with very high expectations. And we all know what happened then, you know, when that when these uh, so-called dot-com bubble burst. Yeah, but this is kind of shaped probably the 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 rest of of my life, right? And 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 then we found ourselves 2017 at at the SU, and it's always the same topics, right? How is digital changing changing our lives, you know? And and direct marketing, which is which is the name of your show, has tremendously changed in those 20 years. I mean, back then in the 90s few people you couldn't really shop right yet on the internet so i'm i'm fascinated by technology in general i think that sums it up nicely very nice so tell me a little bit just about career wise i mean i i know and i'm i'm going to give our listeners a little bit of a a little bit of a history obviously you worked at pwc uh, and you had a very interesting career there and now you started your new project so can you tell us just a little bit i guess the last 5 10 years uh, what you've done in your career Sure. I, I had like four chapters. So there was an academic part. Then I tried my uh, luck as a, as a startup entrepreneur, failed twice. Uh, and then I was really, really broke and had to get back on my feet. So I ended up in strategy consulting. And that was really amazing. I spent 18 years there. I uh, was with Booz Allen all over Europe. I had a, a, a long stint in the Middle East as well. And then we were acquired by PwC. 
And that again boosted my entire exposure to the blockchain uh, universe. So I was very interested in fintech, in blockchain. And of course, at PwC, there were a lot of activities going on. But I've now uh, opened a new chapter. And I can say our joint experience in, in uh, California at the SU was, was pretty instrumental in that. So I wanted to be an entrepreneur again, and I created my uh, a new company together with uh, friends that I know also for a long time in the exponential tech space. Uh, and we tried to find a really cool name, and we landed with uh, Singular, but you know uh, we're not millennials, but we still took all the <laughs> vocals out, so it's now S-N-G-L-L-R. I think that's very modern to do it like that in branding. I, uh, I like your logo first. too. I, I saw your logo uh, just recently. I was like, that's a cool logo. So yeah, you know, the millennials are cool and they have their 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 place in, in our world, even though we're not there and we're trying, you know, they're, they're the next generation that's going to bring up all these technologies that we're all working on and, and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting how you've, you went from a path and, and this is what I love to hear is people who, you know, fail, quote unquote, during their first venture and then kind of move on, do something different and get back to it. And it's a very important lesson for everybody who's young or anybody who's kind of a, a little bit lost in their career is that a failure is not necessarily just going to be the end of your entrepreneurship road. It's just, this is not the right time. Same thing happened to me when I started my business. I would say I've mm -hmm. been an entrepreneur for 12 years, but it took me three years to make any money. So I don't know if I was really an entrepreneur for three years. I was just kind of saying I work for myself, but I wasn't making money. So, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of, but yeah. And then, you know, sometimes things happen and it just gets you, you know, you meet that one right person that gets you that one right connection. And obviously if you have the skills in, in, in what you're doing, it, it brings you to the next level. So I'm glad, even though, you know, you have such a, you know, exhilarating past and an incredible educational path, you know, the fact that you, you have a PhD and you've worked in so many different areas of business that you're still humble enough to say that you did fail. Uh, and then, you know, you got another job and you got the experience you needed and now you, you launched another project. So that's uh, a great lesson for everybody and uh, just a great life lesson. So moving on, you know, obviously you, you've you worked in so many different aspects of technology and everything comes, obviously stems from the internet and, and all the, the, the new technologies that have arisen from there. Uh, but just specifically on your experience with crypto, which is what we had connected on in 2017. And, you know, I wish I had bought a lot more when we were speaking, because then maybe we wouldn't be speaking. Maybe I'd own an island in Fiji now and, <laughs> and we would all, you know, I'd be on my way. But, you know, in 2017, when we, when we met, it was early 2017 because there was a bubble or a burst, I guess, of crypto at the end of 2017 when it, mm -hmm. when it increased quite considerably. I really want to kind of dive in crypto and, and blockchain and, th and the technology part of things with you. And just, this is just, you know, again, your opinion and your thoughts, because you do have a very uh, good insight into this. And because you're in Europe, the interesting thing is, you know, in the US, we have different perspective of this. And, and, and in Europe, Europeans have a different perspective just on the privacy side of things, on the technology side of things, the way people pay is also very different in Europe versus in, in the US. So tell me a little bit about, you know, in the next five years, I, I'd like to say 10, it's hard to imagine 10 though, because things move so quickly, but in the next five years, what do you think are the main use cases or how, how are we going to be using crypto and blockchain in our daily life? 
Yeah, that's a, a very fundamental philosophical question. I mean, first of all, I think it's fair to say 2017 and today we're, we're still just starting, right? So I think this technology is is now really slowly maturing. And, and like in any exponential curve, we're, we're just about probably in that inflection point when it starts to really accelerate and grow. Uh, and I, I believe the use cases that will come, we haven't seen them yet. We haven't thought them through correctly uh, and also a lot of the predictions were wrong right i mean when blockchain came up first it was it was about a peer-to-peer -peer payment system that hasn't materialized right there's not a lot of payment happening right now it's predominantly a narrative around digital gold you know everyone who has a bitcoin holds on to it with uh, with his or her dear life because it's it, it may grow and it may become more worth next year so th there's a lot of the predictions that were wrong and i think it, it will be the same if we try to do that over the next five to ten years but having said that i have a very clear conviction that i think the blockchain technology in itself the, the principles that are behind it and and also the creativity i see so many bright people uh, being attracted by that space i'm pretty sure it's going to be one of the key fundamental technologies to to power up payment systems financial markets but also smart cities uh, the way we move from a to b you know i, I cannot imagine uh, energy grids or autonomous cars driving in in big cities uh, and then it's all powered i don't know by a classic database i i believe blockchain is probably at the end just a little piece of a bigger puzzle but as that it will it will uh, thrive and i think this is exciting i mean for for you for me we've been on the kind of blockchain journey for a couple of years and it's amazing uh, to see what can still get out of this technology for sure. And, you know, the interesting thing is we are always talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about ETH. We're talking about the big cryptos, but nobody's really focusing on the power of the blockchain and the technology. It, it doesn't necessarily just have to do with, you know, monetary or a store of value. You can do things like mm -hmm. sign contracts amongst multiple parties and have a record of it, kind of like a DocuSign, but on the blockchain. So there are, you know, there are quite a number of use cases. And I'm interested, obviously, in the in the smart cities, which we're, we're going to talk about a little bit later. You did touch upon something that I found very interesting, which was, you know, Bitcoin was primarily created for a peer-to-peer -peer exchange system. Why do you think that we're not going to be able to, or or that hasn't materialized, or will it materialize later on? Like, what's 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 preventing it from getting there, and what do you think is going to happen for it to get there? If you think it's going to get there, well, I mean, th that's probably now a lot on on more the technical side. But if we look at the Bitcoin protocol as as today, everyone is buying BTC. It cannot scale, right? I mean, we already see the amount of transaction fees that are racking up. And the announcements that came out in the payment space, you know, banks are getting into crypto, Visa, MasterCard. Imagine if if all that traffic would go through through that tiny protocol of that blockchain. I don't think it could handle all these transactions and, and the numbers speak their own language. So I think we need probably a next generation of protocols. We need new solutions. And And obviously, when you deal with blockchain use cases, you always get like, People coming in from the left and right side saying, hey, let's just use a database or let's you know, do it in a different way. So there's always an alternative. And I'm not saying we need blockchain for everything, but I think those specific use cases, we still really need to find them and, and work towards it uh, for the future. And payment is, is unresolved, right? I think if blockchain is going to be the infrastructure for payments in the future, 
we probably all need to you know work much harder and and that's what the ecosystem is doing so all these different projects on ethereum bitcoin alternative blockchains i mean they're all walking in that direction what do you think about you know talking about blockchains and you know visa and mastercard payments and so forth like we had an announcement recently that mastercard will start accepting payments in bitcoin and also settling to the merchants in bitcoin which means that people will now be receiving bitcoin i think a lot of merchants who are selling and and i wonder what they're going to do are they going to be exchanging it which might you know cater it more as a payment system or are they going to also be holding it like for dear life because that's their gold you know that's going to be an interesting thing to see but you know, in terms of like the payment technology and the blockchain, let's say uh, Visa, MasterCard and, and the big credit card <clears> companies, do you think that they would have a public blockchain? Would they just use blockchain as is or would they privatize the blockchain? You know, the, the interesting thing is, you know, kind of moving to like privacy and, and payments is, you know, the, the blockchain is public. Does everybody want their transactions to be seen on a public blockchain when they're buying you know, various things using their their credit card right now. Obviously, it's just your bank and, and that bank that know and there's a, that exchange. But what if it were to become public? Like, first, there's, you know, like you mentioned, there's the limitations and, and the speed of transactions. It, it's just not possible right now with the technology. But secondly, there's also the the public versus private debate. You know, uh, would would MasterCard privatize a blockchain and use it for their own transactions? Do you have any thoughts on that what do you what do you think i mean you're you're in europe you're in the mecca of privacy gdpr and all that like how do you think people would feel about you know sharing transactions that they of things that they buy no i'm i'm definitely here in in europe we have a bit of a different view especially on the privacy topic that's absolutely right i mean i'm i'm sitting here in zug right zug is a very uh, small city in switzerland but we kind of branded uh, this the crypto valley uh, the crypto valley of switzerland and um i've always been in the past four, five, six years, a bit in between. So here's the, you know, Bitcoin maximalists, here's the Bitcoin ecosystem, the, the crypto ecosystem, people who kind of say, you know, let's let's disrupt finance, let's disrupt uh, all these big companies and create like a, a new financial world built on blockchain. And then I've seen all the these corporate players, right? And, and what have the corporate players done? I mean, the last years, they've always built their own controllable permission blockchains, you know, I mean, Good example is the R3 consortium with Corda. You know, banks huddled together, more banks came. I think in the end, 130, 150 banks are sitting around the table discussing blockchain. So naturally, I think corporates have a tendency to go more down the route of, hey, we need to control this. It needs to be more like a database permissioned. But then again, you know, in, in the server space, you know, when, when Linux came, uh, you know, suddenly even corporates went to, to these type of, of open source solutions. So I think the jury is still out on that. But a, a corporate, let's say a CEO, he or she has a strong inclination to design something that they can control and in a totally decentralized blockchain if that really exists, that's another philosophical discussion. Um, you know, a company like Visa or MasterCard, they don't really have control over it. So this is probably something they they worry about. And, and probably they're discussing this right now as we're holding this interview about, oh, which blockchain we're going to support, which coins we're going to support, what does our tech team, you know, contribute to that? Are we, are we like chasing things? And, and I just want to pick up a point you said uh, very, very early now uh, is this 
privacy topic. Let's not forget on, on the blockchain, you have this pseudo anonymity. So if you just use a monitor and you look at what's happening on the blockchain, you can see transactions, you have public keys, etc. You can trace the wallets. But fundamentally, yeah. you don't know whose key is it, whose wallet is it. From that point of view, the development in the US that was right in December tw 2020, where suddenly I think there was a proposal, a document floating around that, you know, uh, private custody on a, on a hardware wallet at someone's place or home uh, is not okay because yeah, uh, then you don't really know who has the wallet, etc. I mean, this has raised a lot of concerns here in Europe because that's exactly then going a bit against this kind of pseudo-anonymity that the blockchain still gives. And I think we need to solve that conundrum. We need to solve that equation because, yeah, as, as law enforcement, etc., money laundering, etc., they want to have some overview of what's happening. But of course, we don't want full transparency where you can see, you know, Daniel sent Maria $20 over the blockchain and, and then she bought something there. I mean, you don't want that transparency. But yeah, if if all keys would be known and all wallets would be clearly assigned to a name and, and an identity, we would live in that kind of dystopian world where everything would be perfectly trackable. Which, by the way, just in brackets, when when the Libra proposal came up by by Facebook, uh, now it's called DM. But yeah. uh, I mean, that was very exciting from again intellectual point of view because, of course, that was the one area that in the Facebook world they wouldn't see very closely into exactly the payment patterns, the micropayments, what is happening of this huge user base. So blockchain, yeah, is has a bit both sides, right? There's transparency and at the same time there's encryption. And we really need to find the right balance, you know, for at least for us Europeans, we say we, we need <laughs> to find the right balance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel I feel like, you know, in Europe, privacy and, and just kind of keeping your information confidential is a lot more something that comes to the forefront. I feel like in North America specifically people don't understand yet the implications of giving this information. I think it's starting and people are starting mm. to realize like, why is Facebook asking all this? There's, you know, that whole WhatsApp issue and now all these people that are moving now to, to signal and, and all these kind of, you know, encrypted platforms. A lot of people don't even know why they're moving. They're just like, I just don't want Facebook to know. But if you kind of really study mm. what Facebook is doing, it's all for marketing. It's all for selling you stuff. It's all for, for, you know, it has nothing to do with them really knowing what you're talking to people about. It's really like, can I sell this shirt to, this person because they said they like this shirt to that person and and so on and so forth but it's uh you know it, it's very interesting and i think you're being the leader they create certain things and then you know it, it crosses the pond relatively quickly when people start realizing like hey you know i really don't want this and so forth but coming back to like the privacy and and the privacy of of the blockchain and private versus public blockchain the biggest issue that i see with mastercard and visa and, and the big payments or the the credit card companies is I feel like they have to privatize it to a certain degree because there's a couple of things. Number one, transaction fees on the public blockchain are, you know, present. So you have to pay a transaction fee on the on the public blockchain. Plus Visa and MasterCard have a transaction fee, which would make this an insane amount of money for people to spend. And the whole point of a peer-to-peer -peer system or the blockchain is to allow for microtransactions, allow for people yeah. to, to trade. So, I mean, from my perspective is I'm, I'm curious to see because I know obviously Visa and MasterCard have <clears throat> a ton of money behind them and, and expertise to, to figure out what would be best, but I just don't see it being a public blockchain because I don't see them being able to control it and develop for it and and, and monitor the fees and so yeah, forth. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the thing that I find with, with the 
blockchain in terms of like privacy and people tracking it is that people who are, you know, I guess more technologically advanced or people who have been in the space for a really long time and understand it, they understand how to switch wallets. They understand how to make themselves quote unquote untraceable on there. But your mm -hmm. average person will have one wallet and will interact with that wallet and, and go back and forth and so forth. So it's like kind of having like one bank account and everything, everything you do is through that bank account. Eventually, if somebody wants to find you, they'll be able to cross-reference a couple of transactions and then boom. So that's that's the the scary part is that I don't think the technology is well understood by most people and most people will not understand how to veil themselves so that it's not that easy to find them. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that's going to be, I think, the payment mechanism and privacy, I think, go hand in hand. It's going to be difficult for, for people to understand how to make sure that their financial life stays private. Because yeah, if it doesn't, yeah. if it doesn't, the problem is, is that then we have cybercrime and fraud and all that stuff that comes with it. So that's why this is a, a really important topic. And talking about like, you know, just you know, the difference between Europe and North America, we also have emerging markets, India, and we have all the countries in Africa and so forth. How do you think Bitcoin and blockchain is going to influence those countries? And will it be different than how it influences, let's say, North America and Europe? Absolutely. I, I, actually, I think early in the, in the 2015-16 on many of the conferences, that, that was the narrative, you know, a bit like with the internet, right? Remember, we said, you know, it's, it's going to be okay in the Western world, but the real impact will be in the third world. But I think in, in blockchain, this is absolutely the case. If you live in a country with a high inflation or a very dodgy government where you don't know they're going to be overthrown, there's going to be a military coup tomorrow, what happens with local currency, crypto offers an amazing, easy way out right you can if you somehow can get hold on the technical infrastructure if you if you can get access to the internet and buy and sell uh, i mean then you have totally a good alternative to to whatever you know the, the local government offers you so i think the the impact is huge in those countries and and not surprisingly a lot of the early internet uh, and also blockchain uh, entrepreneurs come from these markets right because i think once you've gone through let's say an argentinian hyperinflation uh, you just learn the value of you know being able to shift your your pension fund your pension money into something new at the same time if you, if you uh, listen to a few uh, podcasts about you know what happened in the crazy 2016 17 when you know people were running around with multi-level marketing one coin and things like that i mean that's also very scary and and it requires a high degree of education to really deal with crypto today right i mean the technical hurdle is high you need to understand how to access these systems and i was asked a week ago by a journalist uh, here in switzerland by if a good strategy be to buy now a couple of let's say bitcoin and ethers and then just put them away for three years and and then see what's happening you know versus now trying being constantly in the fomo the fear of missing out and, yeah. and my answer was look on paper that looks like a good strategy but i can tell you for a fact if you if you pick random 10 people and they carry out those, that strategy in three years probably 80% of them will not be able to access their funds anymore because oh they don't find the seed phrase, they they forgot yeah. the password, uh, you know, the, the memory stick is lost or the hard drive is gone. So, and, and that's a real issue, right, in the crypto uh, ecosystem. Even very savvy, tech-savvy people can't access funds from the past. And, and this is where you can't go to a post or, or a bank office and, and complain and say, oh, I can't access my money. Can you help me? Can you unlock the vault? Because it's today it's not, not 
not feasible. So I think the yeah. these hurdles are are so high that I would even doubt or question whether in 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 today's uh, let's say growth plan for for the entire crypto whether we really want that world domination where every living human on this planet has to own cryptos, use cryptos, and love cryptos. Um, <laughs> Maybe not, right? Maybe it's for certain type of people, maybe a bit more the tech savvy people, maybe people who want to diversify or have a use case they really want uh, want to pursue. But I, yeah. I, I think the technical hurdles shouldn't be underestimated, at least in today's setup. Of course, with players like Visa MasterCard coming in, and I think you really nailed exactly the, the key issue with this is, I mean, they want to make money on this, but already today the transaction fees are, are kind of crippling you know a, a lot of the potential so how's that yeah. going to work right they're, they're not a charity and, and and the blockchain technology is somehow also not ready to scale so how are we going to solve that one and it i mean the jury is still out but but i'd say in the end you really need to everyone needs to think for himself and say is this for me and and if you go into the blockchain crypto route you you need to do a lot of homework and and do your own research uh, that's also why i never gave investment advice i just say look <laughs> There's so many tokens, there's decentralized fines, do your own research and then do what you feel is best. But I mean, I'm not even trying to educate you know. No, I, I completely agree on that, that, you know, you touched upon something really interesting, which is, you know, like in the US and, and in, in Canada, because I mean, the US and Canada are brother and sister, I guess, but we do have some some differences. There's a very individualistic approach just in general, like now we're getting into this like philosophical discussion, but a lot of people are starting to feel like I have to take care of myself, like the, the whole coronavirus and so forth, take care of your neighbors and stuff like that. There was a lot of debate of people saying, well, you know, I'm okay. I'm not going to get sick. Why do I have to, you know, not live my life the way I want to? Because, you know, some old person or somebody like that has an issue is going to, is going to be affected. And now we're getting into that topic with finance, because now what you just explained, you know, specifically is that, people will have to almost take charge of their own financial future. So for example, you know, if I gift you 0.1 of a Bitcoin or whatever, if it's your birthday, I give you something, which I've done this to, to some nieces and nephews. It's a generous uh, gift, huh? I, so yeah, 0.1 is good now, but like in like 2015 or 2016, yeah. you know, giving giving like a 0.1 Bitcoin was like a hundred bucks or something like that. And now these, the people that, you know, I gifted to or, or you know, that, that got these different gifts lost the password. And now that 0.1 is worth, you know, depending on which currency you're in, about 5,000 Canadian, depending on when you listen to this, it can change. But, you know, how crazy is that, that now this, this individual is not able to access their money. It's their money. There's nothing, but they, they have no recourse. So the problem with this is that people want their privacy, want their security. They don't want, you know, the government to be involved in everything. But then when something goes wrong, who's going to save you? If you mm. if you only rely on yourself, so this is also uh, a very interesting thing that you mentioned and talking about like emerging markets and you know how that's going to happen. So you know an emerging market they what they skipped over a lot is the whole landline. Like we all had landlines. I find yeah. like in Africa and so forth they just just went straight to cellular. So I'm almost thinking like in Africa and, and very underdeveloped places would they just skip a lot of the regular development and go into smart cities straight ahead and kind of build for the the next 10 years versus try to get their infrastructure to 
you know, what, let's say Europe, big European cities and countries are North American. So what's, what's your, this is, this is almost like we're going to get into like a sci-fi discussion now, mm -hmm. but I, I love this topic and I think it's a fun topic to kind of think about. And it's almost like reading different books and, and just the dystopian future that we're living in now that nobody could have imagined a couple of years ago. What's your thoughts on like a smart city? And when I say smart city is, you know, just to, to, to explain to our listeners who may not kind of, you know, not everybody is on the same page of what that means is that your identity kind of allows you to do everything. You don't need credit cards. You don't need it's, you know, retina scan or, or fingerprints and, and different ways of identifying you. So basically you're being followed, but everything's so easy. You never have to remember anything because you are your own identification. So mm -hmm. what, what's your thought? And I know that, you know, with singular, you guys are, are working a little bit on this and, and so forth. So we'll get into that after, but what are your initial thoughts on smart cities and, and the technology behind it and where we're at? Yeah, th this is a very fascinating topic. So smart cities, smart mobility. I mean, this is de facto how we live today and how we're going to live in the future. Right. And I think this is super an interesting topic. And, and, I'm totally torn between different uh, utopian visions in that sense, right? I mean, we see now also from the last couple of months, which have been you know, difficult for everyone in the world with the lockdowns, but we suddenly see that being in a place is not that important as we always thought physically. Suddenly working from home is easy. Suddenly we don't have to travel and still get business done. Uh, so, we, so we realize that this being in a certain place at a certain time is maybe less important than we thought. Uh, and that would actually lead to a, to a reverse trend because we've probably the past thousand of years, I mean, we humans have huddled together more and more and more in, in urban environments, right? So the cities are growing. There are mega cities around the world, 10 million people, 20 million people. And these cities attract more people, right? Because that's somehow where, where a good life is as opposed to the peripheral areas and, and rural areas. And this is, a, I think, a big problem we have right now on this planet uh, from a multiple of dimensions, you know, sustainability, lifestyles, you know, mobility, but also what happens in these regions in between the mega cities. Now, it could be that with all the technological progress and the exponential technologies kicking in and this more self-dependency, maybe also on the energy side, there will be new living, let's say, designs where you don't have to be near a city to be thriving. There's already this movement of you. I'm sure you're very familiar with them, the, the, the digital nomads, right? The people yeah. that... Um, I have a digital job. I, I'm a graphics designer. I work in the payments industry. I can work from anywhere. You know, I can go. Uh, I know listening your show very closely, and I'm super excited. You know, <laughs> I go to Puerto Rico. I work from there. The sun is there. There's a beach. Uh, I can go to Bali. I can go to nice places in the world and just work. So, so, so the, the the location becomes less and less important, and so do cities. But if you would do a poll today, I mean, that vision is totally wrong, right? Because more and more people are just going to these cities. And in that vision of a smart city, it's not just about having smart homes and cameras everywhere and, and iris scanners. It's also about, you know, how we deal with, with traffic, how we deal with energy, with water, water management, wastewater management. There's so many. I mean, if you look at, at a city, I think it's super fascinating, all the different things that happen there. There's there's a social layer, there's an infrastructure layer, there's an architectural layer. So people that people who build houses and buildings, I'm super fascinated by this profession. They have to already think 10, 20 years ahead because stuff that's built today, you know, probably will be around for a while. So I think super complex topic. And if we spin it back to, to the topic of payments and blockchain, 
I firmly believe if these smart cities or these cities become smarter as we go, I see a, a space for blockchain on, and of course for AI and, and other things like AR and VR. Because just imagine if there's autonomous driving in such a smart city uh, and you have a lot of machine to machine microtransactions. So this is stuff you probably wouldn't do over over a Visa MasterCard as today payment. Who's going to deal with that? You know, Can you have per city one big database that just manages all these payments? Or wouldn't it be better to run this on some kind of blockchain technology that has already eliminated double spending problem, has a very high resilience to shocks, is, is has a super decentralized uh, structure? So I think that's the way to go. And, and I think we, we need to think very hard our own future, how these smart cities actually going to look like and also yeah. how habitable they are. You know, Would you want to live there? Would I want to live there? I think these are yeah. all questions we need to answer. Well, the interesting thing, just to, to tell our, our listeners, you know, double spend and, and the issues with that. So a double spend is essentially if I go in and I, you know, I send Daniel $20 uh, via the blockchain, like $20 worth of, let's say, BTC over the blockchain. And then I go and I send that same $20 to somebody else within seconds. It mm -hmm. takes a little bit of time for the transaction to actually clear. It's not instantaneous. And that can mean that within a minute or two or, or, or the, you know, sometimes it could take long if the transaction's not uh, a very high transaction and they don't nobody really wants to process it you know you can start spending all that money within 10 minutes and none of the transactions have cleared and then here we go we, we're in this issue now where who's going to get the money and how is it going to clear so there's there's so many conundrums with this and you know the issue with smart cities is also you know let's say you do build it one database per city well what if i come to zoog how is Zoo going to recognize me if I don't live in Zoog? And, you know, how, how are we going to work on that? So it almost has to be a public thing or, or something that's shared in order for it to work properly amongst, I guess, on the planet. But it's it's an interesting thing. It's it's exciting, but it's also scary, I think, for a lot of people who, who don't may necessarily work in technology, who don't understand, you know, what is the blockchain? I don't think I even understand exactly what the blockchain is. I, we had a, an interesting talk about that the other day is like, you know, we get what it is, but what really is it? Like, you know, there's so many things that we can do. And it's, you know, because I'm not, you know, I'm not a developer myself, I understand technology, but I, I'm not a developer. So I, it's always interesting to people to ask me, you know, what is the blockchain? I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's this thing that transfers things because that's how, you know, <laughs> in layman's term, I would, I would describe it. But, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that it can, it can power so many different parts of a smart city, whether it be, you know, going from one place to another payments, you know, I think they, I think Amazon, or I can't remember if it was a Whole Foods in the US, which is like a grocery store, they mm -hmm. had like a smart grocery store, where they, they had this experiment, I actually have to look at this again, to see what happened with this experiment, where people would just go in, and just take stuff and leave no cashier. I, I saw that no, on the news. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't even know what happened with that. I think it was like before COVID. But it's interesting. It's fascinating. But it's also, uh, I feel like a scary thing. Because there's always with every new technology, even with internet, you know, like I remember in the 90s with email, people are like, who's going to pay for email? <laughs> you know, because you pay for a stamp. Well, who's going to pay? Am I going to pay for the, the email or are you going to pay for the email? Somehow it worked out. Obviously, we, we, we all figured this out, but it does take a little bit of time 
uh, for these new technologies to to be made sense of, like for people to understand. In terms of you know smart cities and and technology and so forth, what are your thoughts? I'm just curious, and I'm geeking out here, so I'm I'm, I'm enjoying this. So I'm curious, you know, because Switzerland has a very unique way of governing that's very different than the U.S. That's very different than the Canada. What do you think the role of government per se, like, is going to be in these smart cities and these in a blockchain filled world? Call it. Yeah, you're 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 definitely asking the wrong person <laughs> because I would say in Switzerland we have a really flat and and decentralized government just by the fact we don't have one president, but seven, and few Swiss can name them correctly with the right party, et cetera, um, uh, just without help. But obviously, I mean, this is, I think, a very fundamental discussion I have with a lot of also libertarians who, of course, say, you know, Bitcoin is the revolution against governments. But when we talk smart cities, I mean, the cities are in the hands of governments around the world and and they will uh, need to do things. But at the same time, how much of that will they have to do and and how much uh, surveillance, transparency will they get? So to to stick to your example of, of Whole Foods, where you just walk in and walk out, you have a trade-off, convenience and privacy. I mean, in that world, obviously, there is no privacy because somehow they identify you, right? Somehow they yeah. see what you pick and somehow they there's a payment made. It's all automatic. It's probably super convenient, you know, and maybe the next generations will will only shop like that. They will say, I mean, there was a time I had to pay and I go to a cash or something. No, I just take what I want and I have an AI that deals with my payments and chooses maybe the cryptocurrency that is most uh, <laughs> apt for in that moment with the lowest transaction fees, best suited for this type of purchase. Maybe that's the future. And But for us, at least in Europe, I think this is, again, a bit of scary thing because uh, then you get old, you know, basically someone in the government can probably see, okay, this is what Daniel bought the last month. You know? Oh, why is he buying so much of uh, alcohol? Or why is he buying so much of, he? he's not eating that much, right? Is he always probably getting fat? Maybe we need to send him, you know, a, a Send doctor him a treadmill. <laughs> So it gets into this dystopian, you know, um, vision again of of total control, and and at the same time, now speaking again a bit more from a society point of view, we are moving quite away from I think more liberal mindset and liberal thinking into a very moralistic society, at least in the Western world, where more and more people and influencers and politicians start telling us what is morally right and what is wrong so we're getting into a lot of you should do that and it's a bit with with eating right so suddenly you get uh, there's certain things that in certain circles you cannot eat because people will look at you and say oh my god you are eating this come on you know i don't know the fish are getting extinct or it's not good to eat meat or it's not good to eat yeah. vegetables because these vegetables are not uh, biologically farmed etc so in in such a world i mean there's a there's a dangerous recipe that can develop where much better transparency much better track record of all your payments comes together with highly moralistic views of what is good and what is bad and it can really create a bit of a yeah, I would say an, an unpleasant combination uh, that probably many people who who watch this and, and, and think for themselves would say, oh, I don't really like that. So at least here in Switzerland, I think we're, we're on a good track in the sense of we have government involvement. We have a government that is, you know, doing the duties that you expect from a government. But at the same time, we're not afraid of our governments and we can vote. So every couple of weeks uh, or months you get you get paperwork home sent and you have to fill it out and but you can voice your your opinion mm -hmm. and and for example the next vote here is going to be on electronic identity which um 
I don't know if everyone is really looking deep into this right now here in Switzerland, but it's quite an important vote because it will design a bit the way forward on whether Switzerland will be one of the forerunners in digital identities or not. And, and of course, there are different ways to design digital identities. So there's now a lot of debate back and forth. But if we spin forward again 10 years into our smart city, I mean, there needs to be digital identity in one way or another, right? I mean, you cannot think of autonomous cars and in an iot world internet of things every item needs to have an identity somewhere yeah. and needs to be somewhere registered on a ledger in order for example to do a microtransaction or or to maybe pass through an area or something so we're not getting anywhere without this digital part but i think the, the difficult part is going to be like a like a sailor on a ship uh, you know on the left side is a is a big storm and on the right side are the cliffs of of the land so you have to really be careful how to navigate you know closer to the storm or closer to the cliffs and and i think it's going to be uh, some some bumpy road ahead but that's why we need to keep innovating and thinking this through and also openly have dialogues uh, about this, whether it's good or bad. And I'm sure I offended now a couple of people with some of my <laughs> statements, but I think we we at least need to have a dialogue about this. Well, that's that's the interesting thing is that, you know, we need to have a dialogue and we need to share ideas. And I think ultimately humanity is going to figure it out. You know, we've been here for, for millions of years. We're not disappearing anytime soon. It's just a matter of, you know, there's going to be some bumpy years ahead. There's going to be some, some bumps on the road. There's going to take some time. And, you know, obviously older generations are going to have a harder time adjusting to this. But, you know, as younger people kind of make things easier and so forth, everybody adapts and and yeah. that's you know this the interesting interesting thing and like you mentioned now you you know the swiss vote on everything which is interesting because you probably start voting via the blockchain soon so we're taking it back to the blockchain and voting voting by blockchain because right now like one thing that i've seen is challenges with government and and governance in general is elections because of the pandemic people can't go out to vote so they're all trying to vote via mail and then there's people saying mail fraud and so forth well if we all have a digital identity and that identity is attached to us, then we can vote. We can vote on a lot of things. Because now, I know, I don't know how well the system works in Switzerland, but like in Canada, to organize an election is a freaking mess. Like, you know, they, they need to get all these volunteers involved and people knocking on doors and verifying things. And it's just, it's it's difficult. Like when I moved from my parents' house to, you know, my own place, and I went to vote for the first time, they couldn't find me. And I was like, well, I changed address. They're like, no, but that doesn't exist. You have to go vote there. I'm like, but I don't live there anymore. And they're like, but that's where you're registered. I'm like, but I don't live there anymore. So I want to vote where I live. Mm. Um, and it's just, I was like, this is so silly. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I haven't changed my driver's license because I just moved six months ago. That's why they're like, well, you don't exist here. I'm like, okay, so I don't exist in Montreal. I only exist in the other island. <laughs> so, I mean, interesting to, to think about the government implications, the transport implications, but it all comes down to, I think, just because I work in payments, but I, I do feel like it always comes down to payments because what you buy kind of paints your picture. It just what you buy, like if you buy uh, fancy food or organic food or vegetarian food or, you know, it just it, it tells people who you are. So, you know, I think it's all going to come down to the safety and security and the privacy of your payments and how that's going to be dealt with. And that's going to tell a lot about everything else. So 
definitely, a, you know, a, an interesting discussion, Daniel. And I think that we've given, you know, the listeners a lot of things to, to think about. And I hope that everybody listening doesn't see this as a negative. This is just a conversation about things to come and things that humanity will have to solve. And we've solved so many things so far. I don't think this was a negative conversation. I think this was a very positive conversation just to get people thinking about all the stuff that's happening. And just as a final point, and just like, a, you know, discussing your project, because we, we've mentioned, you know, singular, tell us a little bit of like what you guys are working on, and you know, what your, your main projects are about. Yeah, very glad to. I mean, I think you summarized it perfectly. This is a positive thing. So I'm I'm an optimist. I'm looking into the future. There there's going to be challenges around technology, but I'm very positive we can we can solve them. And the reason I I was co-founding with with my friends Singular is exactly that we want to be part of that discussion, part of the discourse, part maybe of some of the solutions. So our our minds are bent not on the next let's say six to eight months, but what's happening. On a, on a four, five, six, eight, ten-year trajectory. So, what are the options out there? What are the technologies that are going to shape it? I think you and I we could easily name at least four or five technologies that, with a very high percentage of probability, will be part of this. You know, AI, AR, VR, blockchain. I'm pretty convinced. And then there's this quantum computing hoovering in the future that no one really knows how powerful it really will be. Yeah, this is what we want to do with Singular. We want to think about the the key issues of the future. And we have these two areas, smart mobility, smart cities that I said, but we're also looking at longevity, which is not necessarily just living longer, but also living better in a higher quality of life, being able to do more, yeah, less fatalities and, and just a, a general, more positive, more vital uh, living. Uh, and I think with those two topics, we will have our, our hands full, so to say. Uh, it's going to be super exciting journey. It's going to be at the intersection of many different exponential technologies. And But it's, it's exactly what you said, we, you know, technology without humans doesn't work. So we always yeah. need to also take into account the human element. So I'm I'm a big supporter of you know humane technology and and making sure it really it really fits. To go back to your voting example, of course, in Switzerland we could probably easily do a technical solution to have all voting on done on blockchain. But then you will have discussions like, well, today all these paper slips that we fill out if you do a paper voting, what happens to them? Maybe they get stored, maybe not. But on a blockchain, you will have a full transparency over someone's life and all his or her votings on all different questions. And just that profile is a bit, again, scary, right? Maybe maybe I want to want to have a political career, I want to join a party, the party will tell me, well, you want to come to us, we would like to see your track record on the blockchain about have you what voted you voted for us? the past yeah. 20 years. <laughs> wow. And then I'm like, oh, um, I lost my key. I, I don't know. <laughs> so it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be again, I think in the end, it all boils down to this to this. Yeah, it's transparency versus convenience. Maybe it's good to vote on blockchains, but maybe there's some downsides with it. Let's at least have a have a conscious discussion about it and, and see the pros and the cons and, and weigh them. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, the same I mean, for artificial intelligence, you know, ethical, you know, super intelligence, all these these books written about uh, Elon Musk being afraid of, of the 
super smart AI uh, after the singularity point. Yeah, let's talk about it and, and talk whether we need kill switches or not, or whether autonomous cars need need wheels or not. And, and I think this is what we want to also do with, with Singular. So we really want to work on, on the important issues with, with uh, very interesting people from all walks of life. Uh, so I'm super excited. And, and uh, I think, yeah, and payments, of course, will be, as you say, <laughs> at the very heart of it, because, yeah, uh, life is not for free, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I'm I'm happy that you mentioned the the thing about the government. I didn't even think of that, but yeah, there's every every decision that we're going to make now about our electronic identity is going to have repercussions on security, on privacy, on the future that you want to pursue. Just like you know, young kids that are on uh, Facebook and social media and are posting you know maybe ridiculous pictures of themselves, like that's there forever. How is that going to impact their future when they get a job? And you know, there's this technology. You know, has been around. Internet has been around for let's say 20, 25 years, maturity, mm. maybe 10, 10, 15 maturity, not even maturity, but like where it's actually part of daily, daily life. It's such a small slice of like our, our history that I think people are, are underestimating where we're going. So very interesting discussion. And I'm going to ask you because this, this show is called uncensored direct marketing. So it's uncensored. Oh. I want to ask you an unscripted question. Not that we scripted any of this, but we did have a little bit of an outline because we had so many things that we wanted to talk about. Do you think, and this, you know, this is just a personal opinion and I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you think Bitcoin is going to be around in 10 years is bitcoin going to be call it you know the reserve currency or the 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 gold the digital gold w what's your final thought on that my bet is is it's still going to be around it's definitely not going to be used for payments and it's going to be much more like a digital gold so those people who hold it will will hang on to it i don't think it will totally disappear but it's definitely not going to fulfill the peer to peer global electronic payment system that it was originally envisioned to. But there will be next protocols coming and, and I'm very confident in the in the high degrees of innovation and, and the cycles, but uh, it's going to be here. Call it digital gold. Okay. So digital gold. So everybody, that's Daniel's prediction. Let's see. We'll we'll have a we'll have another podcast in three years and and we'll keep doing it and we'll see how that prediction comes true. Yeah. So thank you so much, Daniel, for your time. This was an exponential conversation. This was uh, very interesting talking about all these different things. And obviously all of these topics that we talked about are directly related to marketing and how people pay and how people buy and so forth. So uh, I hope our listeners enjoyed this and and have some new ideas of of how to talk to their customers after this. So again, thank you for your time, Daniel. We'll have you back on the show and we'll we'll see how things go in a couple of months from now and uh, keep us up to date with Singular and, and, and everything that you're doing. So thanks again for your time. Thank you. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once.